Today we begin God Quest. We've been talking about it for a while, and, and I've been looking forward to it. I hope that you have. We have a number of people who are, are connected in our grace groups and in our Sunday morning Bible studies who are going through this. I had to reorder books this past week. I will be reordering more books this week because so many more of you are plugging in, and that's good. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go along, but let me acknowledge something this morning, that some of you came in here this morning with a lot of stuff on your minds. I mean, you came in and you had all kinds of things that were going through your mind. It may, it may have been work-related. Maybe there were some issues today at work, this week at work, or maybe there's some issues coming up at work. It may have been family-related, issues of grief, sorrow. Family members not living up to expectations or perhaps looking at you and thinking you don't live up to expectations. It may have been financially related. I think that's something that's on a lot of people's minds now. It may have something to do with relationships. In other words, when we come in, we don't come in barren of our concerns and anxieties in life. There are all kinds of things that are in our minds But as you've come in this morning, perhaps you've come with some sense of expectancy. That somehow God's going to do something, say something, respond, reveal himself in such a way that's going to change your life. But of course, not everyone came uh, because of that. Some of you aren't really sure why you're here. Maybe you were invited. Maybe you were dragged. Some of you are here willingly. Some of you maybe not so much. And Some of you are here because you're just curious. Does God really have something that he's still saying in the 21st century that's relevant for my life, where I am? And so you're here with this mixture of concerns and anxieties, but also with some measure of of hope and, and looking for something and expectancy of something. But my prayer and my hope is that as we leave here today, we'll all be pointing in the same direction. We'll all be engaged in a common quest. Now, what is a quest? A quest is an endeavor to find something, to achieve something, to gain something, to experience something. It is an endeavor. It is an intentional endeavor that we go on. Now, we are well aware of quests. For instance, we have some rather large mythological kinds of quests that we deal with. For instance, some of you have heard of King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table. They were on a quest for what? Okay, maybe you haven't heard of them. (laughs) It's okay to speak up. What were they looking for? The Holy Grail, okay? Some of that's historical, but there's a lot of of non-history mixed in there as well. Ponce de Leon. What was, what, was he, what was his quest for? Fountain of youth. Okay. Some of you may have found that. I don't know. We have also a, uh, actually it, it affected us here even in Georgia, a gold rush. Mountains of North Georgia, there were a gold rush up there. But probably the bigger ones that we know about are in California, 
the big migration out that way, the big gold rush, but also there was a huge one up in the Yukon, uh, and, and just people just migrating up there in order to find this gold. And I tell you, there were a lot of people who moved, a lot of fortunes were made, and a lot of lives were lost. But in this quest for gold, this gold rush, there was such a passion, such a zeal for it, that a, an expression came about called gold fever. And that is that, that when people began to discover this, it became an overwhelming obsession that they had to find the gold. And they would move heaven and earth in order to achieve this gold. They were on a quest for it. Well, we're on a quest. But it's not gold fever we're wanting to catch. It's God fever. We want to be consumed with a passion to know truth about Him, to know Him, and to have it impact and affect our lives. Jesus also talked about being on a quest. He told some stories once. He, he compared the quest for the kingdom of God to a merchant who was out seeking fine pearls. And when he found one of great value... He sold everything he had to possess the pearl. He told the story of a man who found a treasure hidden in a field, and he sold all he had in order to possess the treasure. Jesus portrayed the kingdom as something worth seeking, as something that could be found, and as something that was worth any price to obtain. When Jesus told these stories, he was not simply doing it to entertain people. He was doing it to teach the value of knowing God and being in relationship to God. It was a quest, an intentional endeavor that one was to go on. This is the idea behind our six-week church-wide emphasis called God Quest. If this is your first week with us, then you don't know much about it. But if you've been here for a while, you understand. This involves our worship services. It involves one of our Sunday morning Bible study classes. It involves our youth, our children. It involves all of our grace groups. They're connected and, and focused on this. And it will also be connected with our, uh, our own personal daily devotional times. And so it's all tied together. Now you say, well, what if I can't do this or what if I can't do that? Well, we still want you to be connected because even if all you can do is come on Sunday morning, you are going to be, you're going to receive something that is going to be of value in your life. If you can be a part of a group that's also studying it, it will just multiply that. And if you take the time to spend some daily time in this quest, it'll magnify it even more in your lives. My desire is that you will discover that you have achieved an understanding of God and of standing in Him that you have never known before and really didn't even know was possible. But today could begin that journey. Now, if you're not in a group and you said, I'd like to be in a group, we've got groups that meet all over the place all kinds of times. And if you haven't signed up yet, there's a sign-up sheet right out there. Now, if you're already in a grace group, your role, attendance role, is already taped on there. Just check your name. And that helps us to know how many books that we need to get. But we've got classes that meet on Sundays, Mondays, 
let's see, Wednesdays, Thursdays. Um, so uh, there's pretty much something that's going to fit into your schedule, and we hope that you'll plug in. Now, why is it important? Because God Quest is going to answer some of the most critical questions of life. Questions such as, can truth really be known? Can I know truth? Another important question is, does God exist? Well, now that's a big question, isn't it? How how can I know that God exists and not just assume it? Can we trust the Bible? We have God's word, but can we trust that it is reliable so that we can have a place to stand? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? We all know it exists, but why is it there? And how do we respond to that? And there's so many other questions that these six weeks can help you to answer. But I want to begin with a premise. And that premise is this. Everyone is searching. Not everyone knows it. What do you mean? Everyone is on a quest, but not everyone knows that they're on this journey. So how do we know they're on a quest? Because everyone is looking for something. We're thirsty for the one thing that will ultimately satisfy us. And we will continue our journey, continue our quest until we find it. Now, the problem is that we tend to try to fill that vacuum, fill that void with other things. With work, with busyness, with family, with money, with possessions, with entertainment, with whatever it is. We're attempting, all these things we're attempting to meet that need. Take a little time, if you will, just to look at a few commercials. Commercials give you a wonderful window into what drives us as people. What they're selling is fulfillment. What they're selling is satisfaction because they know that deep inside us there is a desire to be fulfilled, to be satisfied. The problem is we try to fill it up with so many many things that still leave us disappointed and thirsty. And so I want to begin, I want to begin with the words of Jesus that are found in John 14. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open there. We're going to look at John 14, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. It's going to be up on the screen for you. But you may want to underline. You may want to highlight. Uh, you may want to uh, in some way indicate uh, that uh, you have read that passage and what significance it has for you. It's John chapter 14, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1 and go through verse 6. Would you stand with me and honor the reading of God's true and holy word this morning? Jesus says to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, may we understand, receive, and apply this word to our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me give you a little context. Jesus is speaking these words in the, in the days prior to his arrest and crucifixion. He's trying to let his disciples know what's going to happen. And he tells them really the full picture. Not only that he'll be arrested, not only that he'll be crucified, but also that he will be resurrected in three days. He's got a message he's trying to give them to prepare them, but they didn't particularly like it. They had invested for the last three years. They'd invested themselves in Jesus. They'd gone with him. They'd followed along beside him. It's not that they'd sat in a classroom with him as their teacher. They had left their families, left their careers, left everything in order to follow Jesus. They were his closest disciples. And now Jesus says, I am going away. That's got to be disturbing. When we know that someone in our family, for instance, is going to die, there is something that breaks within us, some desire to hold on to them, to keep them here. And in this situation, it would be even more dramatic as they'd invested their lives in Jesus. And so Thomas' reaction kind of summed it up. Jesus said, you know the way. And Thomas said, uh, excuse me, no, we don't. And Jesus, in essence, says, Thomas, you do know the way because you know me. Now, this is key. You know the way because you know me. In other words, Jesus doesn't just know the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus doesn't just go the way. Jesus is the way. And Jesus doesn't just show the way. Jesus is the way. Did you get that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you do know the way because you know me. That's critical. I am the way and the truth, and the life. Now, for the purposes of our study, we're going to drill down on that middle statement that Jesus makes. I am the truth. Because really, this is foundational for starting our God quest. I am the truth, Jesus says. We need to wrestle with that phrase and walk out of here with an understanding of what it means And what it means for us. And so I'd like us to look at three truths that grow out of that expression, I am the truth. And the first truth is this, I can know that truth exists. I can know that truth exists. When Jesus told Thomas, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he was not simply making a true statement. He was making a true statement about truth. 
He was saying something about the essence of truth itself. Now, you may know some people who, when they think about Jesus, they think of him as a good man, as a good moral teacher, and perhaps even as a prophet, a holy man. But if you were to ask them about right and wrong, they might tell you that, well, that kind of fluctuates. What's right for one person is not necessarily right for the other, and what's wrong for one person is not necessarily wrong for another, and you don't have any right to tell me what's right and wrong, and I don't have any right to tell you what's right and wrong. There is no real truth that we can stand on, no consistency, no way to to draw a line. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me, but there's a problem with that because Jesus taught that truth exists. And when he taught that truth exists, he wasn't talking about a personal preference. That I want this to be true, or I want that to be true, or I want that to be true, and I don't want that to be true, and I don't want that to be true. He was speaking of truth as an objective reality. Of something with finality to it. Something you could nail down. Something you could stand on. Jesus could have said, listen, Thomas, I am a truth. There are lots of other truths out there, but I'm a truth. He could have said, Thomas, I am the truth for you. Now, I might not be the truth for him, for her, but I'm the truth for you. He could have said, Thomas, I'm the truth for me. As far as I'm concerned, this is what I think. Now, other people might think something differently. But he didn't say, I am a truth. He didn't say, I'm the truth for you. He didn't say, I'm the truth for me. He said, I am the truth. That is a bold statement, folks. Something we cannot ignore. Something we cannot overlook. Something that deserves our effort to wrestle with it, to understand it, and apply it to our lives. Jesus said that truth exists. And he went on to say, I am that truth. When Jesus says, I'm the truth, we can understand that his clear intention is to say that truth exists. I mean, think about his statement. I am the truth. If I said I am a mammal, then I am saying that there is such a category called mammal, and I'm one. If I say I'm a pastor, then what I'm saying is there's such a thing as a pastor, and I'm one of those. When Jesus says I am the truth, he's saying that truth exists And I'm it. But there's another truth that we draw from this. And that is, I can know the truth. I can know the truth. Not only does truth exist, but I can know it. And that's far different than I think what's float around in some philosophical circles. That yes, there may be truth, but how could we ever grasp that? How could we ever know that truth? When Jesus told Thomas, I am the truth... Do you remember he began by saying, by talking about something that they know? You know the way. You know the truth. You know the life. Truth can be known. Now, you may know people that you work with, go to school with, rub elbows with, who don't know that truth can be known. We want to take a moment this morning to watch a portion of the God Quest DVD so that you can get a different perspective on Jesus 
and the truth that we can know it. Are you ready for a journey, the quest of a lifetime? Jesus told a story about a man who found a treasure buried in a field. The treasure was so valuable, he gladly sold everything he had so he could buy the field and have the treasure. The kingdom of God, says Jesus, is like that treasure. Are you willing to seek the kingdom of God, the ultimate treasure, in the same way? If you're a Christian, you might be wondering why you should go on a God quest. What's the point? Well, as Christians, we ought to be intentional about what we believe and why. We ought to think deeply about our basic beliefs about life. Think through how we came to those conclusions and try to live consistently with them. Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. As we discover why we believe what we do, we'll not only gain a tremendous conviction about our faith, but it'll help draw us into a closer relationship with God. If you're not a Christian, all we ask is that you be open-minded. The signposts that you encounter on this journey will help you think about your beliefs and also take a closer look at how you arrived at them. Because what we believe in life determines the path that we take. This God quest is not just about examining facts, but about entering into a relationship with the creator of the universe and experiencing the joy and purpose that comes from knowing God personally. In truth, we are all on a God quest, whether we realize it or not. We all have beliefs about God, we've acted on those, and they've led us to the place that we are today. How should we think about questions related to God? To begin answering this question, let's turn to Professor Craig Hazen. Craig received his PhD from the University of California, Santa Barbara in comparative religion. Let's see what he has to say about how we should begin a religious quest. How in the world would a person go about a religious quest? I mean, there's so many choices out there in the world, so many things to choose from in terms of religious offerings. How does one choose? Well, uh, now this might sound like I'm stacking the deck, but I think that a thoughtful person ought to start their religious quest with Christianity. Now, let me show you why that's not stacking the deck or just starting with Christianity for no apparent reason, because I'm going to give you four reasons why a thoughtful person would start their quest with Christianity. Uh, reason number one, Christianity is testable. It's testable. You can really offer evidence for it and against it, and the evidence means something. The Apostle Paul, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 15, said that if Jesus did not come back from the dead, then our faith is worthless and empty. You see, so it really matters whether or not Jesus came back from the dead. And so the evidence in the case about Jesus and his resurrection or not resurrection actually means something in Christianity. So you can test it. The second reason that a thoughtful person would start their quest with Christianity is, is wonderful, and that is salvation in the system is free. It's, it's by the grace of God. It's a free gift from above. I can't remember a single uh, religion throughout human history that has the same take on this, having salvation be a free gift from God. Uh, the third thing that I would point to would be that in Christianity you get a tremendous worldview fit. Christianity paints a picture of the world that, that matches the way the world really is. Now, that's a huge topic. I don't think I can cover everything, but, but take, for instance, uh, the problem of evil, pain, and suffering. You know what? It's real. But there are many religions in the world today and through history that have just brushed aside the problem of evil, pain, and suffering by calling it an illusion. Well, you know what? It's not an illusion. 
Those of us who suffer know this. Uh, unfortunately, we worship a God who will one day wipe away every tear and correct every injustice. But to, why, but, but to just, just brush it aside doesn't make a lot of sense. Christianity paints a picture of the world in evil, pain, and suffering that matches the way the world really is. The fourth reason I'd say a thoughtful person should start their quest with Christianity is that Christianity has Jesus planted firmly in the center. Now, you might think that that's stacking the deck, but it's really not. Because the point I want to make is that everybody wants a piece of Jesus. He is, he is the universal religious figure. Many Buddhists believe that he's, a, he's a, a, an incarnation of the Buddha himself. Uh, many Hindus believe he's an incarnation or avatar of Vishnu. Uh, even the Muslims. Even Muslims believe that Jesus is a figure greater than Muhammad himself. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was a miracle worker, and he will stand with Allah at the scales of justice at the end of time. He emerges as a tremendous figure, even in Islam. So doesn't it make sense that if you're on a religious quest, you start your quest with the religion that has Jesus firmly planted at the center, and that would be Christianity. So there's four reasons a thoughtful person would start their quest with Christianity. Have you ever received a phone call that completely took you by surprise? I received a call just like that not too long ago. One of my good friends called me, and as soon as I picked up the phone, he said, Sean, you teach your students to defend the faith, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, where do you begin? How do you know that Christianity is true? After walking through the points you just heard from Dr. Hazen and affirming his decision to begin with Christianity, I asked him if we could meet at a local coffee shop to talk about this in person. We sat down and he got straight to the point. He said, I am scientific minded. I need to know, is there any evidence for the existence of God? Well, I started to walk him through some of the evidences. In fact, some of the very evidences we're gonna look at here in the God Quest about how DNA points towards an intelligent designer or about how the laws of physics in the universe are set precisely for human life. And then he said, well, what about Jesus? What about the Bible? And again, we walk through some of the very things we're going to look at in the God Quest about how Jesus is a historical figure, did miracles, and we can still investigate those today. He looked at me right in the eyes. He said, you know what? I find that compelling. I think that Jesus is God. I just need some time to think about it. My final question for him was, why was he all of a sudden interested in questions about God? You see, you got to realize for about a decade, I had been trying to engage him in a God quest, but no interest at all. The reason he gave was very revealing. You see, his younger brother, who was 15 at the time, had gotten a brain tumor. And in his own words, he said it shook him up to his own mortality. In other words, the experience that his brother went through made him start thinking about questions related to God and whether or not there is life after death. Isn't it interesting that we so often go through life without thinking about the big questions? And then sometimes a tragedy or something bad happens and it shakes us up to start thinking about the most important questions. But why wait for something like what my friend went through? Maybe the best time to ask the big questions, no matter where you are in life, is now. Why is it that so few of us make a deliberate attempt to go on a God quest? Let me suggest three reasons that might be helpful. First, we tend to think of religious questions as a matter of faith, understood as blindly believing something without evidence or even believing something that goes against the evidence. 
Well, this might be the way that some religions think about faith or some religious thinkers, but this is not true for Jesus. In fact, Jesus never called people to take a blind step of faith to follow him. Rather, Jesus publicly did miracles and fulfilled prophecy and showed people he had the credentials to be the Son of God and that we could put an intelligent faith in him. The Apostle John said it best in John 20, 30 through 31. He said this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Second, some people don't go on a God quest because they think truth cannot be known. I was speaking with a young man not too long ago and he said to me, but you can't know truth. I said, wait a minute. If you can't know truth, then how do you know that you can't know truth? You see, if you can't know truth, then you can't know that we can't know truth. See, we all know that there is such a thing as truth and that we can know it. But those who claim that we can't know truth, I wonder if they've really investigated the scientific, the philosophical, the historical, and even the experiential evidence for the person of Jesus who claimed to be the truth. You see, Jesus said those who seek him will find him. He said this in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The third reason many of us don't go on an intentional God quest is because we're busy. Let's face it, there's probably three words that characterize our lives today. Busy, busy, busy. And yet what amazes me, even though there are many things pressing on his time, Jesus always found time for things that were important. He found time to be alone. He found time to pray. He found time to share a meal with people that he loved. We make time for things that are important. The God quest is way too important not to make time for it. For Blaise Pascal, the influential scientist and philosopher, the ways we constantly distract ourselves is a testament to our fallen state. If we were really content with who we are, we wouldn't need to distract ourselves. But rather, we constantly divert our attention and try to escape reality because of our fallen state. Well, maybe this desire that we have for something deeper and this uneasiness points us towards something that can only be fulfilled in another world. St. Augustine famously said to God in the opening of his book, The Confessions, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. There is a longing for the transcendent in the human heart. Solomon said, God has placed eternity on our hearts. Don't you yearn for a day where there's beauty and peace and justice and things in the world have been made right? If Jesus is right, then the longing in the human heart can only be fulfilled in relationship with him. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be provided for you. The God Quest is not just about finding answers and moving on with our lives. It's about entering into a personal relationship with our creator and experiencing his plans for our life. You see, what we believe about God affects our choices, which determines the path that we are on 
in life. This week as you begin your guidebook, let me challenge you to take a deep and an honest look at how your choices have determined your destination in life. So here's my question for you. What path are you on? So where are we? We've stated that truth exists and that we can know truth. We've had a video that kind of helps us to understand that. But Jesus went on to explicitly state, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is saying explicitly is, you can know the truth. So truth exists, and you can know the truth. The third point is this. I can live in relationship with the truth. Now, we don't often think about truth like that. We think of truth as being some kind of set of principles. We think of truth as being some kind of uh, abstract reality. But that's not at all what Jesus has said. He said, I am the truth and I is personal. This brings it from the, 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 the realms of, of the halls of, of academia. It brings it from philosophy and it brings it to the here and now I can know the truth because truth is personal. One of the shows I used to watch a number of years back was The X-Files. Some of you may have seen it if you're old enough. And one of the themes of The X-Files, one of the things that that, uh, was, was posted on the wall on a poster is the truth is out there. Well, it's not that the truth is out there and that somehow we might stumble over it somewhere. The truth is the truth is in here. And the truth is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ himself. And when Jesus answered Thomas' confusion, Jesus' answer to him was to define truth not as a concept, not even as an idea, and not as a principle, but as a person, a person of Jesus himself. He did not say, I believe in the truth. He did not say, I know the truth. He did not say, I can show you the truth. He said, I am the truth. Do we hear Jesus speaking this morning? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you hold to my teachings, you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I said as we started this morning, that many of you came with a lot of stuff on your minds and that many of you came with mixed motives as to why you might be here. Well, now it's time to do business with God who's revealed his truth to you. I want to invite you to embrace God's truth. If he's spoken to your heart this morning, if by his Holy Spirit he has moved in you and confirmed that what you have experienced, what you have heard today is real, then you are faced with a very real question. What will I do with this Jesus? If he really is who he said he is, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, then can I afford to ignore the truth?
And if you this morning are ready to say, I need to give my heart and my life, myself to Jesus Christ, I need to embrace that truth and follow him as his disciples so that I will know that truth and be set free, then I would like to lead you in a prayer. Nothing magical, nothing mystical, but it's an opportunity for you to respond to God's revealed truth. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you need to receive Jesus as Savior, to embrace God's truth in your life today, then I want to ask you to pray with me silently. Say this, Jesus, you say to ask and I'll receive. You say to seek and I will find. To knock and the door will be opened. And so Jesus, I ask, I seek and I knock. Please meet me here. I confess I'm a sinner like everyone else here. And I'm ready to turn from my sin and to receive you as Savior and Lord. I accept your sacrifice on the cross as full payment for all the wrong things I've ever done. I turn my life over to you And I ask for you to come in my heart and to change me from this day on. Amen.